well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. I am so glad you've joined us on the program today. Uh, We are going to continue the conversation about constitutional carry in the Lone Star State of Texas. Talked with Michael Cargill on uh, Wednesday's program from Central Texas Gunworks in Austin as the new law went into effect. And uh, he did acknowledge that, uh, yes, there was a liberal freakout going on regarding constitutional carry in uh, Austin. We're seeing the same sort of liberal freakout, by the way, in other uh, deep blue Democrat-controlled cities across Texas, uh, including Houston, where the mayor... Uh, has come out with a statement uh, trashing constitutional carry and, I have to say, not exactly being honest uh, with his complaint. Sylvester Turner with a uh, press release on the new uh, permitless carry law. And I thought we could uh, take a couple of minutes to just kind of go through the mayor's statements and provide some uh, context that the mayor didn't provide, uh, as well as rebut some of the mayor's uh, charges here. Uh, He starts out by saying, House Bill 1927 is allowed law in Texas, allowing anyone who who legally owns a gun to carry it in public without a permit or the training previously required for a permit. That is correct. He says, as the mayor of Houston, I'm very concerned that the state of Texas loosened gun laws, especially during a time of increased gun violence. Many Texans prize their Second Amendment rights, but the Second Amendment does not provide for the right of reckless endangerment. So is Mayor... Uh, doggone it. What's his name? Mayor, uh, oh, Turner. Yes, Mayor Sylvester Turner. Is he saying that permitless carry is reckless endangerment? Because I got to tell you, the statute in question here doesn't remove reckless endangerment as a criminal charge in the state of Texas. So I don't know what he's talking about other than to say that permitless carry itself is an act of reckless endangerment, which of course is absurd. We have nearly two dozen states across the country now that have adopted constitutional carry. Not one of them has sought to repeal that law once it's been placed on the books. In fact, not one state has tried to repeal its shall issue laws. The right to carry revolution, which really began in the state of Florida in the uh, 1980s, has moved in one direction and one direction only, and that is towards full recognition of our right to bear arms. We now have 42 states in the country that are shall issue when it comes to the right to carry. If you meet the statutory requirements, you pass a background check, you get your concealed carry license. You shall be issued that license. We have eight states that are still bitterly clinging to their may issue laws that allow for the issuing authority to determine based on completely subjective standards whether or not somebody gets to exercise their right to keep and bear arms. California, New York, Maryland, New Jersey, Massachusetts, handful of others still uh, a, a give that much leeway to sheriffs or judges or police chiefs to determine who gets to exercise their right to keep and bear arms. And I suppose that's what Sylvester Turner would like Texas to return to, because he goes on to say in his uh, complaints here, he says, according to Everytown for Gun Safety, Handgun homicide rates increase 11% and violent crime increases 13 to 15% in states that weaken their permitting process. Under this bill, he says even a law-abiding citizen can become a danger. Someone who has literally no firearms training and has never even fired a gun could legally carry a gun. 
they can become a danger to themselves and others due to mishandling a deadly weapon. So let's talk about this, first of all. So, again, every town says, well, listen, I mean, if you relax your permanent requirements, violent crime is going to go up. They're actually talking not about constitutional carry, but they're talking about switching from may issue to shall issue. So if Mayor Turner is uh, citing every town of those statistics, I'm guessing that even shall issue would be far too lenient for the mayor of Houston, and he would like to see Texas become more like California. I don't think many Texans want to see the Lone Star State become more like California. But let's also talk about the uh, mayor's claims here that, uh, gosh, someone who has literally no firearms trained has never even fired a gun could legally carry a gun. It's true. They could. How likely is that to happen? I would argue not likely at all. Just as we talked about with Michael Cargill yesterday, in states that have adopted constitutional carry, not only do concealed carry licenses remain in effect, but firearms instructors remain incredibly busy. And that's because most people who choose to carry a firearm for self-defense want training, not because it's mandated by the state, but because they want to feel, not at feel, let me, let me rephrase that. They want to know that they are proficient in handling that firearm safely and responsibly. Why? Because they don't want to shoot themselves or anybody else. So even in states that have adopted constitutional carry, there are plenty of firearms instructors who are offering training, making a good living doing so because the demand is high, even in states where no license is required before you can exercise your right to keep and bear arms. Uh, Mayor Turner goes on to say, not only are underserved and poor communities disproportionately impacted by an unrelenting spate of homicides and gun crimes, but law enforcement officials are less safe. And by the way, that violent crime rise that uh, Mayor Turner talks about, it's happening nationwide. It's happening in states that aren't shall issue. It's happening in states that aren't constitutional carry. We've seen a rise in homicides and shootings in California, in New York State, in Massachusetts. I mean, most of the country saw a rise in violent crime beginning last year that has continued on into 2021. And the gun control laws of a particular state really don't uh, predict whether or not a state has seen its violent crime rate go up or not. Uh, again, in some of the most restrictive states in the nation, violent crime is soaring right now. And Mayor Turner is right. Violent crime is primarily a uh, and, and, and disproportionately uh, affecting poor communities. I would also argue that the arrest of residents of those poor communities on nonviolent possessory firearm offenses, like, I don't know, carrying a gun without a mandate, a state-issued license, also disproportionately harms members of those communities. Look, I'm all in favor of training. You won't hear me argue against training. You will hear me argue against training mandates. You will hear me argue against forcing uh, citizens to jump through however many hoops and hurdles anti-gun politicians want to put in place before they can exercise a civil right. Because I believe that that's wrong. And I also believe that uh, these poor and underserved communities are better served when you don't have the ability to put people in jail, lock them up, charge them with felony offenses, change their lives forevermore, simply for carrying a firearm. 
without a license, a license that they might, in fact, probably aren't going to be able to get as an average citizen. Even if they're legally eligible to own a firearm, if they live in a state again where you've got these may issue laws, the average citizen likely can't obtain a carry license. Now, if you live in one of these bad neighborhoods with a lot of crime, I would argue that your not only your desire to carry a firearm for personal safety, but your need to carry a firearm for personal safety is elevated. And yet these are the very same folks who are least likely to be able to obtain a carry permit in these May issue states. So if we're going to err on the side of safety, I want to be able to err on the side of individual safety, allowing those individuals to exercise their rights without having to worry about going to prison for carrying a gun without a license, or in some states carrying a, a firearm with you know a 17-round magazine or other BS charges like that. Obviously, Mayor uh, Turner feels very differently there in Houston, Texas. I, I think he still subscribes to the ban and arrest our way to safety mentality that is so prevalent within the gun control lobby. He says, with increasing gun crimes on the rise nationwide, adding more unregulated firearms in the population will not increase public safety. Law enforcement is clear on that. This flawed new law will have a harmful impact inside our neighborhoods and on our streets. Unregulated guns aggravate, he says, our public safety problems. Again, crime is rising in states where gun ownership is highly regulated, just as much and in some cases uh, faster then violent crime is rising in states that recognize the right of the people to keep and bear arms. Mayor Turner says, uh, my administration seeks to increase public safety and build trust among Houstonians. Houston's youth violence plan, spearheaded by the Houston Health Department, aims to address the root causes of violence and promote opportunities for prevention through evidence-based crime prevention solutions. Listen, that's great. That's great. But it also runs completely contrary to what the mayor is saying here. We need these laws in place. We need to be able to arrest people. We need to be able to put people in jail. We need to be able to put people in prison if they're carrying a gun without a license because, God forbid, they do such a thing. If that's your attitude, that we can ban and arrest our way to safety, I argue that that is completely contradicted by a strategy that says, look, we need to address these root causes. We need to go after community violence intervention programs. We need to talk to the small group of core offenders who are driving a disproportionate amount of violent crime in any given city. If, if that's going to be the focus, then you don't need ticky-tack possessory gun control laws that put people in prison simply for carrying a firearm without a license. In fact, again, I would say that those things are at odds with one another. But Mayor Turner wants to have it both ways, right? He doesn't want to talk about over-policing. Doesn't want to talk about defund the policing either. Nope. He has this sort of muddled, mushy mess of an idea that, well, you know, we have more gun control laws in place. And we have these community violence intervention programs in place. Then uh, somehow uh, one, of those, one of those two things will work. And I would argue that the second is actually more likely to work. And while the second one might be working, the first strategy is putting people in prison, saddling them with felony convictions for something that is protected by the Bill of Rights. Something that, a right that, that all law-abiding Americans possess, the right to keep and bear arms in self-defense. The mayor goes on to say, I join the many Houstonians who are not happy with the elimination of gun permitting and the associated basic firearm safety training. Well, that's just a lie. I mean, that's just a flat-out lie. 
If you want to get your concealed carry license in the state of Texas today, you can do so. And nobody that I'm aware of, I'm not aware of a single firearms instructor in the state of Texas who has said, well, now that we're constitutional carry, I'm not going to be offering training anymore because uh, nobody's going to want it. That's ridiculous. Again, as we discussed with Michael Cargill on Wednesday's program, not only are concealed carry licenses still available for Texas residents, he suspects that most folks are going to continue to get their concealed carry license because there is still sort of a two-tiered system. Uh, if you're carrying under the state's constitutional carry law and there's a police stop, um, you're going to have a background check run on you. If you have a concealed carry license and there's a police stop and you show the officer your concealed carry license, that basically serves as your background check. If you are purchasing firearms, that concealed carry license serves as your background check. If you're carrying or if you, if you don't have a concealed carry license, you're going to have to go through the whole rigmarole of the 4473. Uh, and uh, uh, go through the next check. Uh, there are differences for those who possess a concealed carry license and those who are carrying under constitutional carry. If you go to the airport, let's say you forgot to take a gun out of your bag, which I don't encourage. I would always encourage you to double check before you go to the airport. But on those circumstances where, you know, you don't, it slips through your mind, whatever. Um, if you're carrying under constitutional carry or if you don't have your carry license, you could be subject to criminal penalties. If you have a concealed carry license, you'll be told, hey, uh, go take your gun and lock it in your car. Uh, or uh, if we've got time, you can go check it in your checked baggage. Uh, but you're not going to be facing criminal charges. Even when it comes to blood alcohol content, if you are carrying under the state's constitutional carry law and you happen to blow a 0 0.01, uh, that's a crime. If, on the other hand, you have your concealed carry license, you can blow a .07 and you are fine. As long as you don't reach that .08 limit, you're not breaking the law. So there are benefits to still obtaining your concealed carry license. But more importantly, the license still exists. The training still exists. And it is simply a damnable lie for the mayor of Houston, Texas, to say that uh, a gun licenses, uh, handgun carry licenses have been eliminated uh, and that uh, the associated basic firearm safety training has been eliminated right along with it. But I would challenge Mayor Turner, if he really is worried about a lack of training for people who might be carrying firearms going forward, here's my suggestion. Instead of holding a gun buyback, instead of spending money on useless programs, that take, uh, you know, garbage guns off of the streets. Why doesn't the city of Houston host free basic gun training classes? Why don't they do that? Once a month, heck, once a week. Rotate them among the neighborhoods that are underserved, the neighborhoods that are hardest hit by violent crime. Provide residents with the opportunity for training that you say they won't get now because of constitutional carry. That'd be a very proactive way to address the supposed problem here. But I don't think Mayor Turner will do that. He will complain about a, a supposed lack of training. He will complain about these mandates going away. But he won't do anything to actually ensure that gun owners and would-be gun owners in the city that he serves have the opportunity to obtain that training at either low cost or no cost to them.
he would rather complain than be a problem solver. And uh, I got to tell you, <laughs> I, I personally don't think that constitutional carry is going to have a negative impact on the state of Texas. But again, if you're an anti-gun mayor who's concerned about it, put your money where your mouth is. Put the taxpayer's money where your mouth is. And, and offer that training yourself. Work with the Houston Police Department. Work with local law enforcement agencies. Work with local firearms instructors. Hell, you, you got, you're swimming in COVID relief money that's being used for all sorts of community violence intervention programs. Why not sign a contract with a couple of gun ranges in Houston, Texas? to offer free basic pistol courses or free concealed carry courses to anybody who wants them. And the city can pay for them if you're so concerned about this. You think we'll see Mayor Turner do that? Yeah, I don't either. All right, let's turn our attention to today's Armed Citizen story, our good deed of the day, as well as our recidivist report. We will start there. Story from uh, one of my favorite websites. I, I, I struggle every day. Not to go back to this well, because I could write a story about what CWB Chicago covers, seriously, every day of the week. But I, I don't want to do that. But I will encourage you to visit CWB Chicago every day of the week, particularly if you are concerned about violent crime, if you are concerned about the criminal justice system, if you do believe that the answer is better enforcement of our existing laws rather than trying to infringe on the right of the people to keep and bear arms, check out the website because you're going to get stories like this. Paroled home invader is accused of committing murder while lollygagging authorities let his gun and drug case drift. Yup. And this is not particularly unusual in the city of Chicago. In fact, CWB Chicago has uh, ongoing coverage of people charged with committing serious crimes in the city while on bail for other serious crimes. But they write, uh, lately a different situation has been popping up more often than we remember. A seeming lack of urgency on the part of judges and prosecutors to address serious allegations against people like Rayon Allen, the man accused of running over three people with his car in Lakeview this week, just months after he was given probation for killing a 93-year-old woman with the same car. And then they say there's a Monty Morgan. He was on probation for robbery when he allegedly struck a pedestrian downtown and fled the scene. That was back in April. He was arrested and he was sent home on a recognizance bond on misdemeanor charges. Four months later, a judge still had not reviewed his probation status, and on August the 7th, Morgan allegedly shot and killed Chicago police officer Ella French. He also allegedly shot French's partner, who suffered life-altering injuries. But they say the most inexplicable case may involve 25-year-old Justin Cortez, who's a three-time convicted felon. He is an admitted member of the Latin Kings gang. He is on parole for home invasion. Back in June... A grand jury indicted Cortez on multiple felonies, including Class X armed violence, Class X arms, uh, armed habitual criminal, multiple felony offenses involving firearms, but authorities never tried to arrest him. When the case came up in court during a Zoom hearing in July, a judge continued the case until August, and CWB Chicago writes that Cortez allegedly decided to pass the time by killing a man. Uh, they say it all started back in June of last year. An Illinois Department of Corrections officer and Chicago police went to Cortez's home for a parole check. They found a couple thousand dollars worth of pot, some ecstasy, a loaded and defaced handgun, ammunition, and about $900 in cash. Prosecutors charged him with unlawful use of a weapon by a felon, possession of a defaced serial number, among other things. Uh, state authorities sent him back to prison for violating his parole. And in August of 2020, prosecutors dropped all of the charges stemming from that parole check. So October 22nd, he's released from prison again. 
Then June 21st of this year, prosecutors ask a grand jury to approve charges for the gun and drugs that were uh, originally found in Cortez's home uh, about a year earlier. Grand jury says, okay. Uh, the uh, case assigned to Judge Thomas Byrne. He holds the hearing uh, via Zoom on July 8th, and then he schedules another hearing for August 18th. Cortez did not show up for that court hearing because he was being arrested for murder. Back on August the 6th, uh, Angel Figueroa, riding in the front passenger seat of a van with his girlfriend in the driver's seat, his daughter's in the back seat. They're driving down the road. Cortez allegedly pulls up to him in a silver Santa Fe and fires one shot. Figueroa's uh, girlfriend heard the shot, saw the Santa Fe speed away, and then realized that Figueroa was slumped over in his seat. He died from a single gunshot wound to his face. Police arrested Cortez on August 18th, the same day that he was supposed to appear in court on the grand jury's charges. The next day, CWB Chicago writes, Judge Susana Ortiz ordered him held without bail for first-degree murder. And as they write, Cortez doesn't qualify for a growing list of people who've been accused of committing heinous crimes in Chicago while on bail for a felony because the judge never got around to actually setting bail. So he will have to settle, they say, for a dishonorable mention. Yeah. And unfortunately, the Chicago court system means that uh, websites like CWB Chicago are never going to run short of stories about individuals who should have been behind bars, could have been behind bars, and yet were not behind bars because of the failures of prosecutors and judges there in Cook County. Today's uh, armed citizen story from Seattle, Washington, where a man shot and killed a uh, would-be robber in Capitol Hills, uh, in the Capitol Hill neighborhood of Seattle. I guess uh, not too far from where the uh, Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone used to be. This was about uh, 1.15 Tuesday morning. They say uh, that's when a 24-year-old uh, tried to rob the armed citizen. The 39-year-old intended victim told police that he drew his own firearm and pulled the trigger, shooting the suspect. Detectives say the uh, potential robbery suspect rushed to a hospital where he later died. Uh, the investigation continues, but at this point, appears to be a, a, a case of self-defense. We'll keep our eyes open for any details uh, as they become available. And finally today, our good deed of the day. And I got to tell you, I, I think this story is representative of hundreds, if not thousands, of other individuals around the country who have engaged in similar efforts over the past week or so. A police officer in Euclid, Ohio, uh, one of many folks who are helping uh, Afghan or tried to help Afghan SIV holders and their families escape the country after Joe Biden failed them and said, uh, we're pulling out and we're, uh, well, we're going to try to get you, but we're probably going to leave you behind. Captain uh, Jeff Cutright with the Euclid, uh, Euclid Police Department uh, said um, his friend, Khalid Afzal called him back on August 15th, saying that he needed help. And the Taliban wanted to kill him and his family. Cutright met Afzal when they were both at the FBI National Academy a couple of years ago. They lived in the same dorm, they became friends. Uh, Khalid, the director of police with the National Directorate of Afghanistan, as you can imagine, pretty high priority target for retaliation from the Taliban. And Cudwright said, I kept thinking, I'm a police captain in Euclid, Ohio. How am I going to help my friend who's a world away? He said, I knew I had to do something. Khalid worked with the Americans in Afghanistan and helped many Americans, and now he needed our help. And the Taliban tried to kill him twice before, so I knew he had to get out. So Cudwright said he worked with the Mission Essential Group 
The other 248 members that attended the FBI National Academy back in 2019, as well as several government officials, he said, I spoke with Khalid every day, and every day people were getting shot and killed by the Taliban. Khalid and his family waited outside Harman Karzai Airport in Kabul for several days before they were able to get on a flight on October, uh, excuse me, August 22nd. Uh, Cutright got the news, a text from his friend that said, quote, brother, I crossed the airport with Marines. Khalid Avzal and his family are now hoping to make it here to the United States. As for um, Captain Jeff Cutright, he says, we couldn't do this alone. This it took 250 of us. Took the State Department, took the FBI, took Mission Essential, all of us working together for seven days to make it happen. But we did it. And again, if it were not for the efforts of individuals like Captain Cutright and hundreds, if not thousands, of veterans uh, and others who have worked with uh, Afghan nationals over the past 20 years in Afghanistan, I don't think it would have been enough to have the State Department, to have the FBI, to have the, 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 the government offices uh, working alone to get these guys out because clearly there were thousands who were left behind. And as the Biden administration tries to uh, move forward from its failure, right? They want to pivot now. Talking about domestic issues. The stories of individuals like Jeff Cutright, like Khalid Absol, and the thousands of individuals left behind cannot and should not be forgotten. I know the Biden administration is going to try to move on, but we can't let them forget. So, Captain Jeff Cutright with the Euclid, Ohio Police Department. Who knew that Ohio would be the right place and that now would be the right time to do the right thing and to help your friend escape the terrorists who want to take his life? But we do appreciate what you did. We thank you for your good deed. We're glad that your friend is safe. That is going to do it for this edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. I want to thank you for being a part of the program, as always. Uh, so, we've got Labor Day weekend coming up here. We won't have a show on Monday. I am planning on taking Tuesday off for a minor four-day holiday uh, weekend. So we'll be back with a, another new edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company on Wednesday of next week. But I would encourage you to check out BearingArms.com. Uh, until then, because we're going to be updating the website with all kinds of Second Amendment news and information that you need to know about on a daily basis, including the Labor Day holiday. We're not taking the day off. You're still going to get all of the information that you need to know. And again, I will see you here on Baron Arms Cam and Company uh, next Wednesday. Until then, be well, be safe, and be free.